Welcome to the Come Follow Me podcast for teens and for parents of teens, a podcast to supplement your weekly study of the Come Follow Me curriculum with thoughts, ideas, principles, stories, and questions all geared towards helping teenagers better follow Christ through their teenage years. Hey everybody, welcome to another week of the Come Follow Me podcast for teens. I'm Josh Downs and this week's episode is episode 25. We're going to be looking at Luke chapter 22 and John chapter 18 with the theme, Not my will, but thine be done. Now, I wanted to start this week just by telling you a little bit of my personal experience in growing up. Growing up, I had a really hard time as a young person liking what I saw in the mirror. I just struggled with my self-worth and and self-esteem. I felt like I often didn't measure up to the expectations of others, let alone to my own expectations that I had for myself. And I was hard on myself. I expected a lot of myself. And when you go through something like that and you feel like you're not good enough or that you don't measure up, those are absolutely crushing feelings, terrible feelings to have and to struggle with. And truth be told, I still struggle with them a little bit today, as most everyone really does. But as a teenager, those kinds of feelings can be rather suffocating. Well, this week is incredibly important for you to study, especially if you've ever struggled with those kinds of thoughts and feelings. In fact, personally, I might go so far as to say that this week is one of the most important weeks that you will ever study because it contains the beginning of the most important event that has ever happened. This week's study is for all of those times where you didn't feel good enough where you are disappointed or were disappointed with yourself, where you don't feel like you measure up, or for when you struggle with pain, with rejection, with weakness, with discouragement, disappointment, or any of those similar types of feelings. It's for those times when you feel the worst about yourself and feel like that you are a failure. And I want to ask you a question before we get into this week's study that I think is very important to contemplate and to internalize. And that is in coming to earth, did you know that you are set up to fail? I want each of you listening to know and understand what that means. And that is that it was known before you came here that you would make mistakes, that you would fail, that you would fall. This week's study is a testament, in fact, to that fact. So why is it that we're so afraid of failing, so afraid of not measuring up, so afraid of letting others down, so afraid of God being unhappy with us, disappointed, or even angry with us? He sent us here, of course, to succeed, but the truth is, is that there can be no success without failure. In fact, failure is the greatest catalyst for success, the greatest teacher for success. My daughters and I were watching the movie Kung Fu Panda 3 the other night, and, uh, and I hope you've seen this one because all of the Kung Fu, movies, uh, Kung Fu Panda movies are classics. But there was a great line that was shared after an epic failure by the, the hero, Poe, the dragon warrior, that was simply this. His master at one point told him when he was struggling with the same feelings that we all struggle with, he said, if you only do the things that you can do, You'll never be anything more than you are right now. I love, love, love that statement. This week's study is about the way that God has set us up also to succeed through our and in spite of our failures. 
This week's study is all about why Jesus is the way, because this week we are studying the beginnings of his atonement. Now to first give you a little context surrounding this week's study, there were only three mortal witnesses to Jesus Christ's suffering in the Garden of Gethsemane, and they slept through much of it. In that garden and later on the cross, Jesus took upon himself the sins, the pains, and sufferings of every person who ever lived, although almost no one alive at the time knew what was happening. Eternity's most important events often pass without much worldly attention, don't they? But God the Father knew. He heard the pleading of his faithful son, Father, if thou be willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. And there appeared an angel unto him from heaven, strengthening him. While we were not there to witness this act of selflessness and submission, we are witnesses of the atonement of Jesus Christ. Every time we repent and receive forgiveness of our own sins, every time we feel the Savior's strengthening power, we can testify of the reality of what happened in the Garden of Gethsemane. Now, as the Last Supper, which we really looked at the last two weeks, begins to wrap up, the Savior then begins to fix his eyes upon Gethsemane. And I think he has some idea of what he is about to experience there, but I don't think he fully realizes the weight that is about to be placed on his shoulders. We're going to take a look at three key principles from this week's study. And the first I want to start out with is in Luke chapter 22, verses 3 through 6. Let's turn there and just read these for a moment. I think there's an important principle here to recognize, especially as it relates to Judas. Luke 22, verse 3 reads, Then entered Satan into Judas, surnamed Iscariot, being of the number of the twelve. And he went his way and communed with the chief priests and captains how he might betray him unto them. And they were glad and covenanted to give him money. And he promised and sought opportunity to betray him unto them in the absence of the multitude. Now this, of course, is a rather sad experience that we're about to witness as Judas follows through with that betrayal here a little bit later on. But I think one of the reasons these kinds of examples are put in the scriptures is to see what can happen when we let our guard down, to see what can happen to even the best of us. This is really a sad reality and lesson of what Satan can do to each and every one of us. Judas was chosen to be an apostle of the Lord and as such was entrusted with the sacred duty and with sacred experiences. However, he lost those due to the choices that he made. Now, we don't see the process in its entirety. We just see a couple of verses, but I am certain that Judas didn't fall in an instant. Just like with anyone else, there is a process that brings people down. It's a process that starts with little decisions and little choices that, if not corrected, can lead us off course over time. Many of you will remember President Uchtdorf teaching this principle in a talk and story titled, The Matter of a Few Degrees. In his talk, he said, in 1979, a large passenger jet with 257 people on board left New Zealand for a sightseeing flight to Antarctica and back. Unknown to the pilots, however, someone had modified the flight coordinates by a mere two degrees. This error placed the aircraft 28 miles to the east of where the pilots assumed they were. As they approached Antarctica, the pilots descended to a lower altitude to give the passengers a better look at the landscape. 
Although both were experienced pilots, neither had made this particular flight before, and they had no way of knowing that the incorrect coordinates had placed them directly in the path of Mount Erebus, an active volcano that rises from the frozen landscape to a height of more than 12,000 feet. As the pilots flew onward, the white of the snow and the ice covering the volcano blended with the white, white clouds above, making it appear as though they were flying over flat ground. By the time the instrument sounded the warning that the ground was rising fast towards them, it was too late. The airplane crashed into the side of the volcano, killing everyone on board. It was a terrible tragedy brought on by a minor error, a matter of only a few degrees. He said, through the years of serving the Lord and in countless interviews, I have learned the difference between happiness and misery in individuals, in marriages, and families often comes down to an error of only a few degrees. And again, although we can't see it in this particular case, I am certain that this is what has happened to Judas. There were little decisions made long before this that started to send him on a different course which, as he continued to pursue in, he got further and further away from the destination of where it was that Christ really was and where he would be able to connect with him and learn from him and love him. Growing up, I remember a little poem that always reminded me of this truth and of the ability that I have to protect myself from these kinds of small little degrees that can change an entire course. And young people, I want you to listen carefully to this poem. It goes like this, all the water in the world, no matter how it tried, could ever sink the smallest ship unless it got inside. Every evil in the world and every kind of sin could never damn a human soul unless we let it in. The prophet Joseph taught that the devil has no power over us only as we permit him and that the moment we revolt at anything which comes from God, the devil takes power. I remember on one occasion while I was growing up, having a little thought that while I was in a grocery store wanting candy that my mother refused to buy for me, to just take it and put it in my pocket, to which I did. I didn't think it would be a big deal. It was one little piece of candy and I just really wanted it. I was hungry and it looked delicious to me. In fact, it was calling out to me to take it. It wasn't me wanting to take it as much as it wanted to be taken. <laughs> well, long story short, when my mother caught me with that piece of candy, you know what my excuse was? It was that the devil made me do it, Mom. <laughs> the devil made me do it. Well, she was really quick to teach me that was it really the devil that made the candy jump out of the shelf that it was on and into my pocket? Was it the devil that made me take it out of my pocket and then unwrap it and put it in my mouth? No, it was me. I'm the one that had the power to make the choice and the decision. Yes, maybe he put some thoughts into my mind, but at the end of the day, that decision rests with me. And that's what the prophet Joseph is teaching each of us here as well. The devil has no power over us only as we allow him to, as we make choices that invite him into our lives. At some point, Judas allowed Satan into his heart and mind. He made some choices and decisions, probably very little ones, that allowed Satan in. And I'm sure little by little, his prayers began to stop. Little by little, he stopped paying attention to and living Christ's teachings. He began to fixate on things of the world, and little by little, a few degrees here and there, he moved away from Christ and closer and closer to the kind of person that would betray him. That's the process. 
And this process is best seen in multiple places throughout scriptures, but maybe none so much as in the story of David and Bathsheba, the same David that slew Goliath. We often use that story to just teach the power that can be with each and every one of us when we turn to God and trust him and the faith that we can have to overcome insurmountable odds, which David did to his credit. But yet, on the flip side, he wasn't able to survive the temptation, the Goliath of immorality. But like with anything else, it didn't take him down in an instant. If you were to read the process from beginning to end, you would see multiple opportunities that David had to change his course, to get back in alignment with who he was and who God knew he could be and who he wanted to be. But little by little, he continued to make those choices that kept him a few degrees off from where he was until he ended up being in a drastically different place than where he was originally headed. And it all began by him not being where he was supposed to be when he was supposed to be there. As a result of that, he saw something that he shouldn't see. And instead of turning away from it, he continued to look at it. And then at that point, instead of repenting from it and and resolving to not do it again, he invited it in closer to him. And then instead of, of changing course at that point, he continued to make choices that made the situation worse and the sins continued to compile and become worse and worse until he had committed adultery and murder. It all starts with little things, just a matter of a few degrees. Young people, some of the best advice that I could give you was given by King Benjamin when he said, but this much I can tell you, that if you do not watch yourselves and your thoughts and your words and your deeds and observe the commandments of the Lord and continue in the faith of what you have heard concerning the coming of our Lord, even until the end of your lives, ye must perish. And then he invites us to remember and perish not. To watch yourselves, to watch your thoughts, your words, your actions. That is what it's all about. That's what will keep you on course. But that's also where you will begin to shift a matter of a few degrees. So pay close attention to everything you allow into your heart, into your mind, and the words that you say and speak, and then, of course, the things that you do. Now, a few questions for you to consider on this particular principle. One would be, what are the little ways that Satan is currently working on you to get inside of you? And how might you be opening the door to him? Another question, what can you do to protect your thoughts better? In the end, who is responsible for your choices? How can it help knowing that you are in control of you, that you have power over you and over Satan? Another question that might be worth considering is, who have you seen in your life that's been an example of this? Who has made choices that have been seemingly small, but choices that have led them far off course from where they should be? And lastly, what course corrections are important for you to make right now so that you don't have to experience those kinds of consequences later? Now, the second principle I want to take a look at today is one of my favorites. It's principle uh, number two, and it's in Luke chapter 22, verses 42 through 44. And it's based on the theme of this week's study, where after the Savior's arrived at Gethsemane, and then after having withdrawn himself a little bit from his disciples so that he could be in a quiet place and pray alone, as he began to feel the heaviness and the weight of what he would go through here in Gethsemane, he asks a question, a profound question, and then issues a statement that every single one of us 
in some ways needs to develop the capacity to say ourselves. In verse 41 it reads, And he was withdrawn from them about a stone's cast, and kneeled down and prayed, saying, Father, if thou be willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. In that verse is one of the most profound statements the Savior ever gave, and one of the greatest examples for our own lives. And in fact, in another occasion shortly after, as John records in John chapter 18, verse 11, after the officers of the Pharisees had come to take Christ away, and Peter had cut off one of their ears to which the Savior then healed it, the Savior mentions and says to Peter, Peter, the cup which my Father hath given me, shall I not drink it? Each of us will be given a cup from which to drink from in life that will be bitter to the taste, something that we didn't want to drink, a situation that we might not want to be in, an experience that we didn't want to have, a challenge that we didn't want to go through. Young people, this is so important for you to understand here and now and to begin to to recognize that this is a part of the mortal experience that each and every one of us will have. I'm sure many of you have already had to drink of, of life's cup and experiences that you didn't want to have. That is and will be a part of the testing that we will go through in this life. The challenge for us will be if, like the Savior, we can learn to say in faith, If it's possible, yes, please remove this particular challenge. Heavenly Father, please remove this experience. Please remove this situation from my life. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. These moments won't be just what defines us, but it will be what defines eternity for us. These moments are your refining moments. The moments you have to choose faith over fear and trust over doubt. There may be purposes in your suffering that you can't see now, but that God can. Turning over the pen to your life story is one of the most difficult things you will ever do, but it will also be one of the greatest things that you will ever do. I will never forget Elder Bednar teaching this principle so profoundly when he shared an experience about a young couple, who one of which had cancer and was going through chemotherapy, and the results were not looking good. And they were a personal acquaintance to Elder Bednar, so they had requested for him to come and give the husband, who was the one with cancer, a blessing. Upon arriving, Elder Bednar said he had a thought, something to ask them that he really hadn't prepared or or thought to ask them before he got there. But before giving that blessing, he asked the husband, do you have the faith to not be healed? Which he said is very different. Normally we talk about having the faith to be healed, but in this instance he was impressed to ask it that way. Do you have the faith not to be healed? And what he was teaching in that moment is do you have the faith to turn your will over to God's, whatever it might be. Yes, to have the faith and the hope that God can and potentially will heal us. But if that's not his will, do we also have the faith to not be healed? Oh, that was a life-changing truth for me when I, when I learned it, when I heard it, and when I began to internalize it. Yes, it's so important that we develop the faith to be healed. But it's just as important to develop the faith to not be healed, if that be what Heavenly Father's will is. In essence, to learn to say like the Savior said, not my will, but thine be done. Elder Maxwell said this on occasion, which I've always loved. He said, the submission of one's will, which is what we're talking about here, 
in placing on God's altar is really the only unique personal thing that one has to place there. The many other things that we give are actually the things that he has already given or loaned to us. However, when we finally submit ourselves by letting our individual wills be swallowed up in God's will, we will really be giving something to him. It is the only possession which is truly ours to give. Consecration thus constitutes the only unconditional surrender, which is also a total victory. Boy, wasn't that just a profound statement. You and I, that is the most important thing that, and really the only thing that we have to submit and to give to God, to place on his altar, our own will. There is a real difference between enduring something and enduring it well. And the difference is often found in placing our will on God's altar and trusting him with whatever we're going through that it's for the best. The turning over your will to God will be a wrestle, but it will be worth it in the end. President Nielsen, I'm sure as you know, has invited all of us to adopt the meaning behind the word Israel, which means let God prevail. He said one of the Hebraic meanings of the word Israel is let God prevail. Thus, the very name of Israel refers to a person who is willing to let God prevail in his or her life. A person who is able and willing to say as Christ did, not my will, but thine be done. That's how we can let God prevail in our lives, is by submitting our will to his and trusting him with it. Elder Bednar said, as as we confront our own trials and tribulations, we too can plead with the Father, just as Jesus did, that we might not shrink, meaning retreat or to recoil. Not shrinking is much more important than surviving. Moreover, partaking of a bitter cup without becoming bitter is likewise part of the emulation of Jesus. One other grand truth is that God will help us and support us in these moments in turning our wills over to Him. When we need it most, He will send aid from heaven to assist us in our challenges and struggles. And young people, it's important for you to understand that aspect as well. You don't have to do this and you will not do this alone. As it is recorded in Luke chapter 22, verse 43, It says, And there appeared an angel unto him from heaven, strengthening him. I love that statement. As Elder Holland taught, In the gospel of Jesus Christ, you will have help from both sides of the veil, and you must never forget that. When disappointment and discouragement strike, and they will, you remember and never forget that if your eyes could be opened, you would see horses and chariots of fire as far as the eye can see, riding at reckless speeds to come to your and our protection. They will always be there, these armies of heaven in defense of Abraham's seed, in defense of Israel, in defense of those that are trying to let God prevail in their lives. That is one of the the greatest truths that I think can be taught really in all of Scripture and one of the, the greatest ways in which we can emulate Christ because that's one of the greatest examples He could ever set for us. What he was going through was incredibly hard, harder than we can possibly ever fathom or imagine. And yes, he wanted it removed. He didn't want to have to go through that and experience that. But he also wanted to do his father's will more than his own. And he loved both his father and us enough to submit fully to whatever that will was and to drink of that bitter cup without becoming bitter. Boy, that 
is an example of a lifetime for each of us. Because it can be so easy to do and to experience just the opposite, to become bitter at life's trials instead of better, right? So a couple key questions for you to consider from this particular principle that I think are really thought-provoking, hopefully, and, and profound in helping you kind of evaluate where you are in trying to emulate Christ in this way. Number one might be, what challenges have you faced already that are a part of the bitter cup that you've been given to drink so far in your life, or the bitter cups that you've been given? There probably will be many. Number two, how have you done in becoming better versus bitter in them, in those experiences, in those situations, from those moments you've had so far in life? How can you better adopt the Savior's not-my-will-but-thine-be-done attitude in your own life? In what way is God asking you to place your will on his altar now? Who has he sent in your life to strengthen you when you needed it most, when you've gone through some of these difficult moments? How can you be that also for someone else as they go through theirs? Now, the last principle for today, principle three, we're simply going to refer to as when thou art converted. And it's in Luke chapter 22, verses 31 through 34. And this is a very kind of a difficult experience for Peter, a very educational experience for Peter. This, these verses and this principle takes place in a private conversation that uh, that Peter has with the Lord prior to him being arrested and, and taken away, to which the Lord says this to him in verse 32. Actually, back up to verse 31. He says, And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan hath desired to have you, that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for thee, that thy faith fail not, and when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. And he said unto him, This is Peter speaking now, Lord, I am ready to go with thee, both into prison and to death. Boy, don't you just love Peter's faith? Yet, at the end of the chapter, we see what happens when that faith is truly tested. When the Savior is arrested and, and taken, there are three occasions in which people stand up and recognize Peter and say things like, Hey, aren't you the fellow that was with him? Or don't you know this man? Or aren't you one of his disciples? To which each time... Peter references, I know not this man. I am not who you speak of. No, I am not one of his disciples. And at the end of the third one in verse 61, the Lord turned and looked upon Peter. And Peter remembered the word of the Lord, how he had said unto him, Before the cock crow, thou shalt deny me thrice. And Peter went out and wept bitterly. I can only imagine how initially that look of the Savior must have pricked Peter's heart as he recognized what he had done. Who, where moments before he acknowledged, I am ready to go with you to prison, to, to death. I will follow you anywhere. Yet when his faith was tested, it wasn't quite, he wasn't quite there yet. First of all, young people, I, I want you to understand, I think it's important for you to understand that the conversion process takes time and is the process of a lifetime. President Nielsen, when he was uh, president of the Quorum of the Twelve, said, To the individual who is weak in the heart, fearful in the heart, be patient with yourself. Perfection comes not in this life, but in the next life. 
Don't demand things that are unreasonable, but demand of yourself improvement. As you let the Lord help you through that, he will make the difference. I think the Lord would have said the same thing to Peter in that moment. As he would say to each of us in our moments of weakness, in the moments where we maybe don't pass these tests of faith as well as what we would like, where maybe we don't partake of the bitter cup as as well as we would like without becoming a little bitter, (laughs) where where we just fall short. That's a part of mortality. Remember at the beginning, we referenced that God knew that we would fail that we would fall short, that our faith would not fully sustain us in each and everything that we set out to do, that we would make mistakes, that we would come up short. Elder John H. Groberg, speaking of this particular event between Peter and the Savior, taught what I believe to be a profound way to look at this experience between Christ and Peter. Because, again, in many ways it will mirror our own experiences with Christ. I know at times when I've fallen short, I can't help but think how disappointed God must be with me. And that if he were to look at me, he would look at me with eyes of frustration, of disappointment, of discouragement, maybe a little bit of of anger. And I'm sure you can relate and have probably thought similar things yourself. We all at times will think like Peter. Maybe we have more faith than what we really do or are not quite as strong as what we thought we were. And in these moments of weakness and moments where we fall short, It's easy to imagine the Savior looking at us with frustrating eyes, the same eyes that we look at ourselves with, thinking similar thoughts that we think. Like, why did I do that? Why wasn't I stronger? Why am I so weak? Gosh, I know better. I should be better. But that isn't how I believe Christ will look at us or what he will think of us. As Elder Groberg taught of this exchange between Christ and Peter, Some people think that there was a look of anguish or distrust on the Savior's face as he looked at Peter at that critical moment. But I testify to you that while there can be sternness in the Savior, the Savior I know is a kind, smiling, helpful Savior, one who constantly encourages, and he did thus with Peter. His look to Peter said, Come to me. Come home to hope. You know better. You can do better. You will do better. There is always hope. There is always hope in me. And oh, how I love the idea of there always being hope, even when we fall short of the expectations we have for ourselves and others have for us. And I'm sure that we think God has for us. Elder Holland also taught that brightness of hope born of the love of God and all men. That's what we want for every one of you in the new year. Accompanying that brightness of hope will be the undeniable whisper that God loves you, that Christ is your advocate, that the gospel is true. Its brightness will remind you that in the gospel there is always, every day, every hour, a new chance, a new life, a new year. What a miracle, what a gift. And because of Christ's gift, the best things in life are ours if we steadfastly keep believing and keep trying and keep hoping. Elder Bednar, on another occasion, recently, in fact, to a group of missionaries that were going out to the world to teach the good news of the gospel, said that the good news is that this gospel is not just a gospel of second chances, but a gospel of unlimited chances. How many of us need to be reminded of that almost daily? And young people, I want to end with that thought with you today. That yeah, there will be times where you will fall short, times where you will make mistakes. And again, that's expected. 
the atonement testifies to the fact that God knew you would fall. But I also want you to begin to look at God the way that He sees you and to maybe learn to look at yourself the way He sees you through eyes that are kind and understanding and patient and that is always encouraging and always supporting your personal growth and development. Does He know you can do better? Sure. But He will not beat you up when you don't. Instead, He will always encourage and look at you with kind eyes full of compassion and understanding and patience and love. And that's how you need to look at yourself and also others. Now, a couple questions for you to consider in regards to this principle is, one, where do you feel that you are in your conversion process? What signs are there that you are making progress? And how are you strengthening those around you? As that's one of the key signs, apparently. When you are converted, strengthen your brethren. In what ways can you be better converted to the gospel of Jesus Christ? How can you be more patient with yourself and more patient with others? Do you live your life with hope or discouragement? How can you have greater hope in your life? How does Christ fill you with hope in spite of your shortcomings? And lastly, how can you give yourself more grace? Now, hopefully those principles are helpful to you. Again, this week is just such a profound week, especially for any of you and for all of us that go through periods of times where we don't feel good enough. The message of the gospel is that there are, are always opportunities to do better and to be better. That this isn't just a gospel of, of second chances. It's a gospel of unlimited chances. And I love that. We just need to keep going and keep trying and keep doing our best and everything will turn out okay. As always, remember that that person is greatest and most blessed and joyful whose life most closely approaches the pattern of the Christ. And we've talked in at length at some of the best patterns that he set for us today. This has nothing to do with earthly wealth, power, or prestige. The only true test of greatness, blessedness, joyfulness is how close a life can come to being like the Master Jesus Christ. He is the right way, the full truth, and the abundant life, and he invites us all to come follow me. So let's follow him better this week, you guys, and become better as we follow him. Until next week, everyone, have a great week of study. I'm Josh Downs, and you've been listening to Come Follow Me for Teens.